So I guess it would kind of make sense to mention a little bit about my experiences since this topic is about millennials. Um, when I was in you know, high school, that term didn't exist. No one really thought of the generation as anything special. But as we got older, the term kind of floated up and then took hold. I remember when I was in college, I started out looking at people that were about to graduate and thinking that they had their lives all figured out, that they were grown-ups and going into the real world. And by the time that I got to that stage, I kept getting, I guess, as each year passed, I got more and more scared of the idea of graduating because I didn't think I would be ready. I had no idea how to approach life. And when it was time to graduate, I realized that I was woefully unprepared. I couldn't afford to get my own place. I couldn't afford to get my own car. And that really upset me. I felt like I had somehow failed. I knew what I wanted to do and I was working my dream job straight out of college, but I still felt like I had somehow failed. And that kind of a failure, a failure that revolves around finance, is the kind of failure that it's hard to believe you can fix. And I, you know, after about six months of graduating, I had to start repaying my student loans. And I remember feeling like, and talking to people, and they felt the same, like we had somehow been cheated because I could not figure out how I was supposed to take care of myself independently, financially, while paying these debts off. I know that my student loan debt is above the national average. Not substantially above the national average, but above the national average. And even as it is, I had a really hard time getting my legs under me after getting out of school. And I still can't fathom how it's possible that people across an entire country could afford to live while paying student loans off. A lot of my friends were in that situation too. But we felt very confident despite that. It was almost a reckless confidence when I look back on it because we had no idea how we were going to make ends meet for any period of time. We had no idea how we were going to find these places to work or anything, and yet, overall, we felt like somehow things would work themselves out. There's really no other way to put it. We just thought things would come together if we put enough work into it. And so I, I do wonder if that's just a part of the experience of being a millennial. Millennials, a group that many people believe are confident and fearless, the world's problem solvers. Uh, personally, millennials expect to make more money and achieve more success than their predecessors ever did. Uh, and yet, others also say that they're too confident. They're self-absorbed and entitled, expecting their success with minimal amounts of work. So we kind of were wondering where the truth actually lies. Are millennials overly confident? Do they have a right to be? Join us as we take a closer look at the dynamics of the largest generation in U.S. history in our first ever broadcast of the world at large. I am your host, Mr. Omari James. So who exactly are millennials? As we've defined them, millennials are people who were born between 1980 and 95, uh, which means that they're currently in their 20s to early 30s, making a name for themselves and their generation in the adult world. 
Their identities have been distinctly shaped by growing up in the age of accessibility and immediacy. So, how are these factors influencing who they are and who they've become? So millennials are a generation of go-getters, problem solvers, and world changers, right? Here's a generation that's mainly at the bottom of the job totem pole, but they're trying to combat that by pioneering the quote-unquote startup industry. Now, uh, this wouldn't really be an unbiased take on the issue if we didn't first recognize that there are more than two sides to every story, right? Um, that multiplicity is something that we should all hopefully strive for. Uh, while we chose to focus on millennial confidence in this episode, we completely and fully acknowledge that many stereotypes made about this generation are just that. They are just stereotypes. Millennial confidence being a benefit and an issue does have great impact in terms of the future of our country and economy, but generally, these stereotypes do apply mainly to those millennials from, say, an upper-middle-class background, who go to college and work white-collar jobs. So when a lot of people think about the uh, millennial experience of starting a startup industry and succeeding where no one else does, they think of, of course, Mark Zuckerberg. This guy is supposed to be the perfect example of the hardworking millennial, isn't he? He, let's see, he grew up in a middle-class household, he excelled in school, he advanced to Harvard University, and instead of climbing through the corporate ladder after school, what does he do? He chooses to go out and create one of the most profitable internet businesses of all time, and all from the comfort of his own dorm room. That is the dream, isn't it? To pioneer in a new frontier, to develop this thing using your bare hands and your ingenuity. So what does that say about the millennial spirit? What is it that truly makes them so entrepreneurial compared to previous generations? Are they more effective entrepreneurs than previous generations? To answer those questions, you probably need to understand the millennial psyche. Middle-class millennials have been taught since early childhood the meaning of hard work and the value of excellence. Despite the stereotype of young people being lazy, millennials seem to understand the value of diligence and know how to apply it in their daily lives. That's not all that millennials were taught as children, is it? Millennial children were also taught by parents and teachers alike that they were special, that they're intelligent, that they have enormous potential for success. How often have we heard that saying, reach for the stars, right? This unique millennial mindset of diligence coupled with self-confidence is what makes millennials so attracted to starting their own businesses. To them, perhaps the stars are not just metaphorically attainable. This Unique millennial mindset of diligence coupled with self-confidence is what makes them so attracted to starting their own businesses. Incidentally, uh, not all of these millennial businesses are extreme and famous and huge. You know, they're not all renowned. According to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, half to two-thirds of millennials are interested in entrepreneurship. Damn. According to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, half to two-thirds of millennials are actually interested in starting their own companies. And about 27% of them are already self-employed. In 2011, many people took the leap. Millennials launched almost 160,000 startups each month. And 29% of all entrepreneurs were 20 to 34 years old. So we've pretty much established that millennials are generally found to be very confident and capable young adults. Uh, but this very confidence, which helps them become so unique and valuable in the workplace, it might also be their downfall. So older generations have criticized millennials for being very selfish, like self-entitled, and self-praising, right? But I guess the question is, wouldn't you be if you felt passionate about what you were doing? 
See, there's a deep-seated belief among millennials that their work is an extension of themselves. They, I included, though, we take incredible pride in what we do a lot of the time. And I guess, you know, I'll, I'll say again that we're not speaking for all millennials, but there is something to that. There's a deep-seated sense of importance, of value, of intrinsic value in everything that millennials do. And uh, that usually results in high-quality performance in the workplace, but it also means that millennials respond poorly to criticism. For the sake of, you know, being impartial though, wouldn't you? If you've done something that you're very proud of, that's very important to you, and heck, even if you're not proud of it, but you'd still poured your heart and soul into it, wouldn't you care deeply about it? And perhaps like the artist who spends all of that time at the easel and also takes it a little bit hard when someone says they don't like the work, perhaps there is some logic to you rankling at criticism. So instead of seeing constructive criticism as a way to improve their work, millennials are more likely than older generations to see criticism as a personal attack. Their fierce dedication and work ethic can make them unable to accept themselves as anything but perfect. And that comes from a place of confidence. You know, for millennials, confidence, uh, it may be something of a double-edged sword. On one side, it makes them bolder and more ambitious, right? They're willing to work hard to ensure that their goal is achieved, that their product is as good as it could be. But that ambition, it might also lead millennials to overestimate their abilities, causing them to demand higher rewards and greater appreciation for their efforts than may be necessary. In short, millennials work hard, but not without expecting some serious compensation for their efforts. If they feel like they're not being appreciated for their work, they'll often resort to doing things their own way. Right? Why climb your way up the ranks of an unappreciative corporate ladder when you live in an era where you can make your own tech startup on a computer? At this point, we've endeavored to give multiple perspectives on millennials. We've tried to um, show some of the positive aspects as well as some of the criticisms of the generation. Right? So perhaps the next step is to try and figure out where some of these negative characteristics came from. Right? What, what caused this sense of uh, potential entitlement or this sense that they are superior? It's hard to determine that answer just by looking at a short period of time in their lives, right? So maybe we should take a look back at how, get ready, parenting might affect a millennial's personality. So there's this book by a guy named Malcolm Gladwell, right? Gladwell is um, a respected scholar in the educational world and outside of it, really. And in David and Goliath, he writes about this kid who you know, starts a business raking lawns. His parents lived through the depression and they didn't really have much money, so they kind of wanted to instill in him some monetary skill. So he was, of course, never able to rely on them for money, so they helped him with this lawn raking business so that he could learn how to take care of himself. So he uses the skills that he takes from this lawn raking business and by the end becomes a successful Hollywood adult. You know, um, He learns how to manage his time. He learns how to uh, manage the money. He gets more and more effective in the business aspect of things. And in the end, like I said, he becomes a successful Hollywood executive. 
but his wealth may not necessarily benefit his kids. Studies show that there's a bell curve when it comes to the relationship between parents' income and their kids' motivation and their probability of gaining success. Gladwell actually discusses that there's a greater challenge with regards to gaining success for children of low-income households as there is more of a financial burden to overcome. That makes sense, doesn't it? If you want to be successful, in other words, it's harder to become that if there is not as much startup money to help you from the family. Or, to put it another way, if you don't have much income in your house, it's harder for you to reach the pinnacle of society if there's not much financial assistance. It seems that the best socioeconomic status for maximum motivation, though, is actually a middle-class family. Believe it or not, parents have the means to give their children a good education, right? They have the money, in other words, but they're not necessarily um, so wealthy that they can support the kids all the way through adulthood. The children know that they have to learn to support themselves, but they have enough support of their parents to get a start. It's kind of like the best of both worlds. If they had too little money, they might learn the skills necessary but would have a harder time getting started. And if the family has too much money, then the kids may actually never feel the pressure to get the skills to develop and become independent. So Gladwell posits that it might be best for the family to be somewhere in the middle. They have enough money to give this, their children uh, a good opportunity but they might not have enough money to keep them going very long. In other words, the children do feel the pressure that they have to take over on their own. So, the motivation of children seems to decrease when you get more wealthy family. I'm going to bring it back to me one more time, and I will endeavor in the future to do this less, but a big part of my experience in college, or specifically after I was 18, was that I didn't quite know whether I was a grown-up or not. <laughs> it's funny, I remember when I was a really little kid and I saw the 8th graders at my school and they seemed like they were adults, man. They were massive to me. And then when I was a ninth grader, I looked at the seniors and they seemed like they were adults. Then when I was in college, I looked at the graduating class and while the effect wasn't as drastic as it had been before, I still felt like they had their lives together, like they were ready. After graduating, I did not know what the heck was going on. My master plan for life, at least for the immediate future, was to go home, live with my parents, ponder my life. I kind of felt like I was grown up, you know, like I, I didn't need some of the things that I needed as a kid, and yet I did not have any way to pay for a car or to get an apartment, let alone a house. And those were the things that I considered adult. I thought that I was a special case until I talked to some of my friends about it. And we all realized that we were experiencing something very similar. And when I went into my master's program in education, we were introduced to this theorist named Jeff Arnett. And he had this idea called emerging adulthood. See, Arnett submitted um, this document to the University of Maryland where he describes this idea of emerging adulthood. And he actually says that it's a uh, concept of development for the period from the late teens through the 20s. Uh, specifically, it has a focus on the ages of 18 to 25, which was exactly my age range. 
And what he says in this theory is that between those ages, specifically 18 to 25, you aren't quite a child and you're not quite an adult. It's kind of like this twilight developmental stage where you're, you're kind of a bit of both. Keep in mind that、um, Jeff Arnett's theory about emerging adulthood mainly applies to people in a certain socioeconomic background. A lot of critics say that that theory doesn't hold water if, say, the、um, quote unquote millennial in question has a very low family income. In other words, If the individual has to support their family immediately out of school, they don't have as much time to kind of ponder who they are and the, these questions about life. They may still wonder what their place is, but having that job, having that responsibility, kind of forces adulthood upon them a little bit more. They don't have the, let's use the word as it should be used, luxury of wondering who they are and whether they're an adult or not. Um, for me, I was becoming a teacher. And so a lot of people started calling me Mr. James. And that felt really weird to me because I tell you, I would get home and I would still have my tie on and everything. And I would turn on the TV. I would watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia or Adventure Time. And that was every day for me. It was almost like I didn't know who I was because these two identities were so drastically different. Arnett actually gave that experience the name. And it seems like it's the experience not just of myself and the people that I know, but of our entire generation. You have to wonder where that leaves us. you know? Are we grown ups yet? Should we have been by now? When will that transformation happen? Will we suddenly know that it's happened? When do we leave the things of our childhood behind? Do we leave them behind without a fight? So essentially, this is about the idea that the largest generation in US history is actually trying to bounce back from the effects of the Great Recession, right? And has entered the workplace believing in themselves and striving for success. While older generations do try to guide the hands of these 20 something year old go getters, the millennial generation themselves seems to be trying to prove that the older is not necessarily wiser and that Joe is a name reserved for the average predecessors. So to sum it up, Is confidence really the greatest strength, or is it the biggest flaw of the millennial generation?、Uh, the point of this podcast see, is to, to bring up interesting ideas, right? Difficult discussions sometimes about issues that go on in our community, in the country, and around the world.、Um, I'd like to say that we're not always going to do things that are about current events or current politics, but we'll look at the little things. We'll look at the historical moments, we'll look at the philosophical aspects.、Um, We'll look at anything and everything that we think as we're developing this series is worth discussing. We won't get everything, but we'll get as much as we can. We're approaching this with the philosophy that the world is a massive place. This tapestry is vast, it is complex, and it is beautiful. And while we may not be able to inspect every corner of it, we will endeavor to take in as much as we can in the time that we have. So that tomorrow, when we come back to the same spot and re examine that tapestry, our vision will be able to travel a little bit further. We'll be wiser then than we were today. So, with that in mind, please do get involved. Tell us what you think. 
If you disagree, by all means disagree. Let us know by commenting on our Facebook and our Twitter pages, or send us an email with your thoughts to theworldatlargepod at gmail.com. It was uh, my sincere pleasure bringing you our first podcast. I want to say a very special thank you to the Whitman administration for helping us with this complicated, convoluted journey. And I personally want to say a sincere thank you to my beloved students who went so far above and beyond the Call of Duty and so far above even the high expectations that I set for them in being responsible, being reliable, being trustworthy with this entire project. I think uh, it says something, my listening community, that we have been in development for this podcast for so long and no one knew that it was happening until we wanted them to. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Mr. Omari James, and please do tune in next time for the next The World at Large.